chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we need you to have those message notes handy as well. We're in Acts chapter 2 today, continuing our look at the early church. I just have to say to you that there are a few things that once in a while are said to me that cause me to light up on the inside. When one of my daughters, I don't want to embarrass them, but especially one of my middle two daughters, says, Daddy, I love you. That lights me up on the inside. Daughters one and four, they say it more often to me, but two and three when they say it, oh, causes me to light up on the inside. I didn't mention you, Grace or Haley, so don't be embarrassed. Oh, I owe them a couple bucks, don't I? Ah, oh, shoot. When someone that's a part of this church or a Christian that I admire, you know, looks me in the eye and says, Dane, I really respect you. That causes me to light up on the inside. That does something inside of me. But as many of you know, I live for six words. I live for six words, well done, good and faithful servant. I live for those six words. Those are the six words that if spoken by Jesus Christ to me on that judgment day will cause me to light up more than anything else ever could. I live for those six words. And I hope that you do as well. We're in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be starting in just a a few moments in verse 36. We saw last week that God has called us to pray for greater impact. There that church was in uh, Jerusalem right after Jesus ascended into heaven. Remember there was a 10-day period between when Jesus went up to heaven and the Holy Spirit came down from heaven. It was a 10-day period, and they prioritized prayer. It said there in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. They joined together constantly in prayer. And we saw that they prayed for three things. This early church, they prayed that God would give them uh, wisdom to make godly decisions. And we saw that we need to be praying the same as we begin this new chapter of the life of First Christian Church. We need to be praying for God's wisdom to make godly decisions. Number two, they prayed for boldness. We see that in Acts chapter 4 where they said, Enable your servants, O Lord, to speak your word with great boldness. We need to be praying for boldness to share the good news of Jesus and invite our neighbors. Amen? Amen? And thirdly, we saw that they prayed that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and empower them for ministry. We find that in Acts chapter 4 as well. Empower us for effective ministry. Lord, do more in us than we could ever do on our own. And so they prayed these three things, and God has challenged us to pray the same three. And on the heels of this powerful, prioritized prayer, we saw that this little church of 120 Christians exploded in a single day. The Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost, and the church went from 120 to 3,120. What an amazing growth that took place. It magnified and multiplied in just 12 short hours. And then we saw that on the heels of that, there were some priorities of that church there in Jerusalem. And it's those priorities that we're going to focus on today. Starting in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, here we go. And I'm going to have to don these glasses again because I can't see these words. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 36. It says, Therefore let all Israel... Be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Who is preaching these words? It's Peter. Peter, right here in verse 36. He's finishing his sermon. Verse 37, when the people heard this, 
they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In other words, how can we get saved? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have to teach us today through your word. Lord, we pray that your highest priorities for our church would be the priorities that we take hold of and carry out because they're most important to you. Speak to us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, turn to the person next to you, say you're ready to dig into God's word. All right. Does it sound like they are? They're not. Are you talking about your husband there, Peggy? Okay, everybody turn and look at David. What a great, great passage this is. In verse 42 here that we just read, Acts 2.42, four of the five top priorities of that early Jerusalem church are mentioned. And so we want to look at these five priorities today, and this is going to be something I just want us to have in our minds the entire message. These are the five things that the very first impact church had as their top priorities as they carried out ministry in the early days of their existence. And so I don't know about you, but as a pastor, when I look at Acts 2, 38 and 39, he says, repent and be baptized, and then we move on from verse 39. It says that there were how many that accepted Christ? Around 3,000. And as a pastor, that just blows my mind. Logistically, how does a church go in 12 hours from 120 to 3,120 and possibly care for the needs of the extra 3,000 that were just dropped in their laps in 12 hours? How do you do that? How do you manage that many people on such short notice? How do you possibly care for their needs? How do you disciple them? How do you help them grow in their faith? And so that's one of the reasons it's so important for us to look at these five priorities. This is how a church did it when they were in the midst of some incredibly challenging circumstances. Uh, We rejoice that 3,000 were added in such a short time, but logistically, for someone trying to pastor that, that's really, really tough. And so these five priorities are so important. For us to pay attention to. Once again, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There are many things that any church can do that are good things. There are any number of ministries that a church can carry out that are good ministries. But what these Jerusalem churches did is they pushed aside what was simply good and they prioritized what was best. 
And so I would make the case today that what they're prioritizing here are the best things that just about any Christian church could prioritize. Let's look at these. Priority number one is studying Scripture. Studying Scripture. Notice it says there in verse 42, the first thing they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching. On a daily basis, they were learning from the apostles who'd walked and talked with Jesus and been discipled by Jesus for three years, and they received that instruction from the apostles. And that instruction ended up being written down in what we call the New Testament. And so they were learning, in essence, the New Testament through the words of the apostles who were teaching them. Their second priority, it says what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So what's fellowship? Well, the fellowship is caring for and sharing with each other. Caring for and sharing with each other. We see clear evidence of this in those final verses of chapter 2. They shared everything in common. If there was a Christian that had a need, they would take care of that need. Imagine those 3,000 that had been added to their number. Many of those were from out of town. They had come for the day of Pentecost. And so it seems like many of those 3,000, even though they were out of towners, stayed for a few weeks, maybe for a few months, to be discipled so they could take Christianity back to their hometown, wherever they came from. And so during those few weeks or few months, they didn't pack enough for that length of visit. And so it's an amazing thing. These Christians are just freely giving to all their other brothers and sisters in Christ as the needs arose. They were caring for and sharing with each other. So never think that Christian fellowship is just about hanging out, eating a cookie, and shooting the breeze. Biblical Christian fellowship is much deeper than that. Sometimes it can happen over a cookie. But Christian fellowship goes deeper. It's caring and sharing with each other. Priority number three, worship including communion. It says they prioritize the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread was number three. Breaking of bread is Luke's way of saying communion. So communion, and as we look at the final verses in chapter 2 and then look in chapters 3 and 4, it's clear that communion was part of their worship that they prioritized. And it makes it clear in the early chapters of, of Acts that these Christians would go daily to the temple courts And they would receive teaching there. And then they would gather in their homes on a regular basis as well and eat meals together. And it seems pretty clear that at the the pinnacle of those meals that they shared together with other Christians was the taking of the Lord's Supper. That was kind of the climax, the pinnacle of their meals that they shared together. That was a priority for them, worship. Priority number four was prayer. I won't say much about that because we talked about that last week in chapter 1. But it makes it clear again in Acts 2.42 that one of their top priorities was prayer. Just because the Holy Spirit came down doesn't mean they didn't have that responsibility to continue that prayer priority. They continued it over and over again each day. And then priority number five, witnessing to non-Christians. Now we don't see this in verse 42, but we see clear evidence of it, particularly in verse 47. It says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, the Lord added to their number, what? Daily, those who were being saved. The Lord wouldn't have been adding to their number daily unless they had been sharing their faith. As we read in Romans chapter 10, no one can believe unless they hear the gospel. And no one can hear the gospel unless someone preaches the gospel. No one can preach the gospel unless someone sends the person to share 
and preach it. And so they were prioritizing sharing their faith with others. So these are the five priorities. Before we move on from this slide, let's read these together, starting at the top there. Priority number one is studying Scripture. Priority number two, caring for and sharing with each other. Priority number three is worship, including communion. Priority number four is prayer. Priority number five, witnessing to non-Christians. We come from the independent Christian church movement from the early 1800s. And as a church, we've always prioritized communion as a part of every worship service. And that goes all the way back here to Acts chapter 2. Most Christian churches out there will take communion once a month, maybe once a quarter. But as that was a priority for the early church, we're a little distinct as a congregation. We think we should have that as a priority as well. It's part of our worship experience. And finally, witnessing to non-Christians. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes about this wonderful opportunity we have as we do a relaunch of our church. As you know, a new location, a slightly different name. Uh, We are having a focus on reaching our community more than ever before. And what we want to do is prioritize as a church the most important things. So I want to talk to you for a few moments about mission statements. Uh, Since I've been at this church, I've been here a little over 20 years, as you know, in that time we've had three different mission statements. Back in 1999, I worked with our uh, youth pastor at the time and our elders to form a mission statement for First Christian Church, a mission that we had before you between 99 and round about 2015. And the mission statement that we were forming for this church We were hoping to encapsulate the most important verses in the New Testament that speak to what a church should be about. And so whenever a church sets out to form a mission statement, most uh, church leaders will zero in on a few passages. They'll look at Acts 2.42 that we just looked at, that lists those first first four of the five priorities of that early church. They'll look at Matthew 22, 37 through 39. That's where that expert in the law came to Jesus and said, hey, what is the most important law and most important command in the Old Testament? And remember, Jesus said the most important one is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'll even give you the second most important, love your neighbor as yourself. When a church goes to form a mission statement, they zero in on Matthew 22:37 through 39. Another passage they go to is Matthew 28, 19 and 20 where Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Those are three of the most important passages that speak to the mission of Christ church. And so when we look at those and and, and we look at those priorities, sometimes it's a bit of a challenge to condense those into a mission statement that is true to what the Scriptures teach and at the same time, memorable. And so our first mission statement, at least in the past 20 years, was back in 99, and it went like this. First Christian Church of Victorville exists to love God and people as we share Jesus with the Victor Valley, our nation, and the world. Many of you have been a part of this church for quite a while. You remember that mission statement. We used to have it on a couple banners up on the wall behind me. First Christian Church of Victorville exists to love God and people as we share Jesus with the Victor Valley, our nation, and the world. That's 24 words. Not a a terribly wordy mission statement. I thought the wording was pretty poignant. But we found that not too many people were memorizing that mission. It was a little bit long, maybe. 
And it got even longer when you realized that share was actually an acrostic. When it says we exist to share Jesus, S-H-A-R-E was an acrostic for the five purposes of the church. S stood for serve the least of these through need-meeting ministries. H stood for honor God through sincere worship. H or A stood for assemble God's people through unified fellowship. The R stood for revive God's people through Christ-centered discipleship. And the E stood for evangelize the lost and dying through local and global missions. I was the only one in the building that had that memorized, which is not usually a good sign. Our 24-word mission statement had become a whopping, how many words? 61 words when you look at the acrostics. So that was poignant. I thought it was powerful. I thought it was true to Scripture, but a little hard to hide in our hearts because it was so long, a bit cumbersome. And so back in 2015-16, the elders and the staff, we got together and we decided we need to say this in a, in a fresh and new way that's a little bit more concise. And so that's the mission statement that is reflected on those banners behind me now we've had for the last few years. And it goes like this. First Christian Church exists to glorify God by faithfully sharing the gospel, right? Number two. Teaching God's word, and three, equipping this generation to serve Christ. I went to a team of our leaders about two years ago, and I asked them in a meeting a simple question. We were meeting over in the office wing, and I asked them, what does the first banner say? You talk about deer in the headlights? That was very eye-opening for me. I wrestled with the wording of that mission for a long time, at least a number of hours, and, and I thought it was poignant, powerful, true to Scripture, but we've discovered, even though that one is 22 words, still, for some reason, it's not sinking in. That, that tells me at least a couple things. One is, somehow that wording is not gripping our hearts, and number two, it tells me the wording is still a little clunky and cumbersome. And so the elders and I and our staff, Patrick was a key part of this with our final wording, set out over the last few months to try to say this mission statement in a way that grips our hearts, that is still true to Scripture, and can be memorized in less than 10 seconds. And praise God, we were able to accomplish that goal with his help. Over the last few months, the elders and staff and I have been reading a book called Simple Church. It was recommended to us by several consultants and, and Christian leaders we respect over the last few years, and we kind of drug our feet on it. But finally, we got copies for everyone. We've been individually reading through this and then coming together and talking about the insights we've learned. Simple Church is co-written by Tom Rainier. Uh, many of you are familiar with Lifeway Christian Store or Lifeway Christian Resources. Tom Rainier is the president and CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources. It's a respected uh, publishing house for Christian uh, curriculum and whatnot. Right now our kids are going through a Lifeway curriculum in our elementary classes. And so he's a very uh, highly respected, well-known Christian leader, and he's probably one of the foremost experts on church growth in our country. And he did something interesting in the last 10 to 15 years. What he did was he researched 400 different churches in America. 
Some were small in their attendance, some were large, some were medium. But he researched churches, and as he was doing that, he discovered some wonderful insights that the elders and I have been talking about and the staff and I have been talking about here in recent months. And in in a nutshell, what he says is churches that prioritize just a few things tend to have more people come to Christ and more Christians discipled in their faith and growing in their walk with Christ than churches that do a whole lot of different things. Uh, Some things that they discovered I found to be really interesting. Uh, Tom Rainier discovered, as they surveyed pastors from 400 different churches across America, it, it turns out that churches that are stagnant and not growing do a lot of the same things that growing and vibrant and healthy churches are doing. As they interviewed all sorts of different pastors and looked at different churches, they found that churches that are not growing, for the most part, have solid doctrine. So do the churches that are growing. For the most part, churches that are not growing have a a, a gifted and dedicated staff and gifted and dedicated volunteers. So do the churches that are growing. They found that when it comes to teaching and Bible studies or from the pulpit, both the stagnant churches and the growing churches both teach the Word of God faithfully with some dynamic teaching as a part of that. So they were curious, why do some churches stay stagnant while others grow when doing, they're doing many of the same things that the other churches are doing? And so they began to notice there, there are some things that are distinct in the churches that are growing. They noticed in the growing churches, more non-Christians are coming to faith for some reason. And in the growing churches, for some reason, more Christians are being discipled. And when they dug a little deeper, they discovered that there were certain things that these healthy growing churches prioritized that stagnant and shrinking churches did not. And our FCC staff and elders, we've been wrestling with these discoveries this summer. I want to share a few of these with you this morning. I don't want to overwhelm you with a whole book, but I want to share a couple of these insights with you. First of all, healthy and growing churches usually have a mission statement that is short and sweet. To how many of you does that sound pretty good? A mission statement that's short and sweet. Making it much easier for church members and even kids and even first-time visitors to remember it and live it out. One growing church back east that they highlight in the book had this simple mission statement. You ready for it? Love God. Love people, serve our world. That was it, six words. Love God, love people, serve our world. They pulled in the two greatest commands and the others that deal with serving others. Not a bad summary of those three key passages that we mentioned. Eastside Christian Church down in Fullerton says it a little bit differently, but almost as simple. Number one, pursue God, build community, unleash compassion. It's not bad. Pursue God, build community, unleash compassion. And so as we were wrestling with our mission statement, we were able to get to a point where we were down to under 10 words. And Patrick, as our resident millennial on staff, really saved my bacon by taking what I tend to do, which is I'm kind of a thorough kind of guy. As you can tell from message notes on a Sunday, and sometimes I say in 10 minutes what you think I should say in one. I tend to value thoroughness. 
And so I, I was pretty happy with the ten words or so, and Patrick was able to boil it down into a whopping three words. Here it is. Why does Impact Christian Church exist? As we launch this on October 6th, what is going to be the mission statement of Impact Christian Church? Number one, love. Number two, learn. Number three, serve. That's it. Love, learn, serve. How simple is that? And we even have a little picture that goes along with it that you've probably already noticed on the back of your invitation cards that all of us are carrying in our back pocket this morning, right? Because you never know when you go out to lunch if you're going to need one of these. Keep them handy. If you look at the back of that, well, lo and behold, there it is. Love, learn, serve. We want people to know from the moment they find out about our church that our church is about, number one, loving God and loving people in our community. Amen? Loving God and loving people in our community. Number two, we're about learning God's Word. God's Word has always been and always will be a top priority for First Christian Church, Impact Christian Church, my church, whatever you call it, it's always going to be a top priority. Amen? And so learning God's Word will remain a top priority. And we don't simply learn God's Word. We're going to talk in a few moments about the context within which we do that during the week that will help us learn how to love other Christians, learn how to have accountability with others so that we can grow in our faith. And then number three is serve. We are going to make more of a priority than ever before that everyone who is a part of First Christian Church should be involved in a regular ministry serving others. God has gifted you in a way that's probably different than the way He's gifted me. Your giftedness may be different than anyone in your row that you're sitting with today. God has gifted you in a way to serve effectively, with passion, with effectiveness. And we want to encourage more than ever before everyone to serve because serving is such a critical part of growing in our faith. And so this is our mission, love, learn, serve. But I think it gets even better. I want to show you a little chart that Holly and I came up with about a week ago. And I think this will help explain another difference between growing churches and stagnant churches that's pointed out in the book. And so we're going to put this up for you. This is representing three month, or one month at a single church. I just kind of pulled the numbers out of the air. It's not from any specific church, but imagine a church similar in our size. And so over in the left column, you've got Sunday attendance, four Sundays in the month, 125, 130, 140, 129, average of 131. Middle column, midweek Bible study attendance, and then on the third column, serving. Here's what most churches do, including ours typically. We look at attendance records vertically, one row at a time. We look at them vertically. So we're looking at that Sunday morning attendance, week to week, month to month. How is our attendance on Sunday mornings doing from week to week and month to month? And then we push that aside and look at the middle column. How is our midweek attendance from week to week and month to month? Are we having more people come for midweek Bible study? Then we push that aside and look at the third column. How many people are serving here at First Christian Church? Here's what growing, vibrant churches tend to do. And this was kind of eye-opening for me and and for many of us as we were reading these insights. You know what growing churches tend to do? They're not so much concerned with looking at these numbers vertically. They look at them horizontally. What does that mean? They believe that when Christ 
came and started his church, his top priority isn't to get as many people attending on a Sunday morning as humanly possible. Christ isn't so much concerned about the total number on a Sunday morning. He isn't so much concerned about the total number in a midweek Bible study or even the total number of people serving. If we look at some key scriptures, we've got a couple I want to put up on the screen for you. When it comes down to it, Jesus is concerned with growth. Amen? He's concerned with developing us in Christ's likeness, conforming us to his image. You look at some key passages like Ephesians 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, God gives spiritual gifts to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, catch this word, become mature, become what? Become what? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Many of you love the book of James. For many of you, it's your favorite book in the New Testament. The book of James has a theme verse in the first chapter. James 1 verse 4 summarizes the entire book. And here's the summary of the book of James in chapter 1 verse 4. It says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's the theme of the whole book. God's goal for you is to become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So in the past, I've shared with you that there is a reason why you're still living today. There's a reason there's still breath in your lungs. A reason you haven't kicked the bucket yet. The first reason is because God ain't through with you yet. Amen? He still has work for you to do. That's one of the reasons you're here. Here's the second reason I don't mention to you as often. The New Testament makes it clear that one of the reasons that you and I are still kicking is because God is in the business of character development in his sons and daughters. And you and I aren't conformed to the image of Christ quite yet, are we? We're getting there. We're making some progress. But God is not ready to bring you to heaven because he's got to do some more work on you, within you, through you, before he's ready to call you home. Amen? And so, yes, you have some work to do, but God also has some work to do on you. God has some work to do on me. And so what Rainier points out is growing and vibrant churches recognize these key parts of the New Testament that make it clear that God is not so much concerned about the vertical attendance growth. He is much more concerned with the horizontal attendance growth, which means as growing, vibrant churches look at these numbers, they're looking at them horizontally, meaning they do this. I see that we have 125, 130, 140, 129 on a Sunday morning morning an average of 131 how come we have 131 on a sunday morning and only 32 in midweek if we are truly discipling christians like god has called us to we've got to work on this movement and this is a key concept we don't talk about much in our church but we're going to start talking about it more we are going to start prioritizing movement more because if you simply attend on a sunday morning you will not grow very much in your Christian walk. And so if you just come on a Sunday morning, you hear one sermon a week, you might get 40 minutes out of me on a Sunday morning teaching from God's Word, and you're bombarded with hours upon hours of media and other voices speaking into your life throughout the rest of the week. 
You cannot grow in your faith sufficiently by just coming on a Sunday morning. So we're going to be urging you in the upcoming months to get plugged into a small group. We're going to call those impact groups. And that's the second part of our mission statement. You see, our first part, one thing that's exciting about this mission statement, love, learn, serve, it's not simply our mission, it's our process for helping you be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that excites me a bit because Sunday mornings, if someone were to ask you what's the purpose of a Sunday morning, you probably will give a different answer than many people in this room. I guarantee if we ask that question, what's the purpose of a Sunday morning, some will say to sing praises to God. Others will say communion is the most important part of a Sunday morning. Others will say that preaching and teaching is the most important part. There's a lot of different answers Christians give, and we're going to simplify this and make it clear that the most important thing we do on a Sunday morning is love. When we come together on a Sunday morning, whether it's the communion, whether it's the offering, whether it's the singing worship, it's all about loving God and secondly, loving people. Because every Sunday morning as we start our new church impact, here we don't have first-time visitors every day. We're going to have a new normal with first-time visitors coming in every week. Isn't that exciting? And as they come in, we're going to share the gospel every single week. It's going to be a cross-centered message, a Jesus-centered message. And so we're going to be loving people by introducing them to Jesus Christ and giving them an opportunity to become followers of Jesus Christ that can begin loving him too. Sunday mornings is about love. But you cannot grow in your faith through just love. You've got to be involved with learning God's word a little more deeply. That's where an impact group, a small group is going to come in handy. But you're not simply learning God's word in that impact group. You're learning with around 8 to 12 other Christians in this small group context, learning how to build relationships and love other Christians. One of the most amazing things in the church is when you have a committed small group Bible study and someone in that group is in the hospital and the rest of the group is on it like that to help meet that need, to bring meals to the family, to help go to the hospital, to help get a prayer effort going. As God blesses us with numeric growth in this church, it's going to be so important that as we grow bigger, we also grow smaller. And we have small groups where you can quickly attend to each other's needs. We are learning how to love others in a small group. And we're also learning how to have accountability. You cannot grow in your faith without accountability. And I cannot give you accountability on a Sunday morning in nearly as effective of a way as you can in a small group. Get that. And so midweek Bible study, it's about that second point of our mission to learn how to grow in our faith. And then the third of those is going to be serve. In our small groups, we're going to do something that we don't do as consistently in our small group Bible studies today. We're going to have this regular encouragement in our small groups, in these impact groups, to move from there into a service opportunity. We want people to get plugged into serving on a weekly basis. And we're going to be making that clear in our church That if you want to grow in your faith, let me just ask you right now, I'll put you on the spot. How many of you want to grow in your faith? Okay, all five of you, that's wonderful. Okay, Lord, you see those hands, right? You see those hands? How many of you want to grow in your faith? Okay, how many of you want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and become more and more like him every day? Okay, about half our teenagers, that's good. Okay, 
So if you are serious about growing in your faith, if you are serious about being conformed to the image of Christ, if you're serious about Jesus Christ working on your character and preparing you for heaven and making the full use of every last day God gives you here on earth, we can clearly say in good conscience, church, we have a path to spiritual growth for you. And we are prioritizing this more than we have in years. If you will follow us in this path, if you will walk this path with us and prioritize worship on a Sunday morning where we're about loving God and loving people that are coming in that need the love of Christ. If you will prioritize getting plugged into a small group Bible study, an impact group, and prioritize that group of 8 to 12 other Christians who are also learning and growing in their faith. And if you will prioritize getting plugged into a ministry where you can serve effectively with joy and excitement. If you will prioritize those three things, I can make an absolute guarantee to you. If you will walk this process with us, I guarantee you that you will grow in your faith. I guarantee that you will be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you that there's a much higher probability that one day you will stand before Jesus Christ and he'll share those six words that you and I so much want to hear come from his mouth. Well done good and faithful servant. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we pray, O God, that you would help us. You know, Lord, that so often I've gotten caught up in the vertical numbers. And I haven't thought enough, Lord, about spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, a process, Lord, to lead us from point A to point B. Because, Lord, we're all a work in progress. Not a single one of us could raise our hand today and say, I've arrived. I'm mature now. Hopefully we're more mature than we were a few weeks ago or certainly more than a few years ago. But, Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we prioritize loving you and loving others as we come together on a Sunday morning. Lord, whether it's our greeters at the front door those men and women and teens out in the parking lot greeting people as they come in to that parking lot, Lord, whether it's people setting up the stage or setting up the chairs or whether it's those working in the nursery or those knocking on doors, Lord, I pray that our community would experience the love of Jesus Christ through all that we do and through all that we say. Lord, I pray that in our lives that are so filled with many things, those of us who have kids still under our roof, Lord, we're busy with sports and we're busy with school activities and we're busy with so many different things. We're like a bunch of Marthas running around. Help us, Lord, in the upcoming months to begin carving out time each week to prioritize for even just an hour and a half meeting with other Christians and growing together with them as we study your word. Help us, Lord, to learn once again how to dig deeper. Help us to learn once again how to hold others accountable and allow other Christians to hold us accountable. Help us to learn to love each other in that small group and be responsive to the needs when they arise. And help us, Lord, to roll up our sleeves and serve. Lord, we've got a great team already starting to form here. And, Lord, we're going to do some good ministry from week one but our good ministry could be even greater with all of us involved. Lord, help us to serve with joy and with effectiveness. 
And as we love and as we learn and as we serve, Lord, we know that you will bring the growth. Help us, Lord, to be a maturing church, a deepening church, a loving church, and a church, Lord, that sees us bring those 1,000 people plus to a saving knowledge of Christ in the next 10 years. And not just bring them to Christ and dunk them and drop them, but, Lord, bring them to Christ and then help them walk that path to grow in their faith with us. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you can tell it or not, but I'm just a little bit excited. It's going to be awesome. I get scared at times. I get a little overwhelmed at times. And there's a lot of nights recently at 3 a.m. I'm up and my cranks are turning and I can't go back to sleep. That's all okay. It's part of this exciting season that God has us in. As I mentioned to you last week, I mentioned to you again, I'm so glad that you're in this with us. I'm going to call our praise team up. They're going to lead us in a closing song. We've been mixing up things a little bit in our worship service recently. We had, you know, communion before offering. We uh, had our invitation as part of that communion time. We're just experimenting with some new ways to, to add some freshness to our worship services. And some of these, feel free to give us feedback and say, you know, Dane, love you, but that didn't work. Others, you may say, I really liked how that flowed. You know, I think this is something to consider maybe as we launch our new impact services in October. I encourage you to give us feedback. I thank you for being on board with us. But we have a closing song today. We're going to invite invite you to stand with us. And as always, we never want you to leave without the opportunity to be prayed for. So if you didn't grab one of us earlier and you still need prayer, you grab me or one of us before you leave today. We'd love to pray with you. If you need to talk about Christ, we'd love to talk to you about Christ. But God bless you, church, as you serve him. Call upon the Lord.